This episode is brought to you by Book Riot Insiders, a subscription service that includes a new release index and a weekly email with that week's curated releases, so you can stay up to date with zero effort. And for our podcast listeners, the all-new Epic Level will also include perks for all the books, the Book Riot episode, and get booked while also allowing you to try any level out for free for two weeks. Maybe you don't want to go with Epic. Maybe you're more of a novel or of a short story person. Or you know what? It's a new year. Just go big. Go Epic. The highlight is that our new group read available to all Epic members. There's no cap on Epic. So the more people that join, the merrier. Each quarter, uh, the insiders will read a new book voted on by Epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of that 2020 Read Harder Challenge, and will cap off our read-along with a live chat. But wait, there's more! You can get all of the full details on this and all of the other perks, and sign up at insiders.bookriot.com. That is insiders.bookriot.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of Kidlet These Days, a Book Riot podcast. Kidlet These Days is your Kidlet connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Karina Yan Glazer, alongside Matthew Winner, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on December 18th, 2019. So we are recording in December, but this is airing in (laughs) January because that is what happens with the holidays. But... Very exciting. Happy New Year! (laughs) Happy New Year in advance. (laughs) It's always a little disconcerting to record something this early, but I'm glad to be doing it. And Matthew, how are you? You, I know, are a little bit under the weather. (laughs) I can hear it a little bit in your voice. We've, We've talked about how I'm at a new school, but for those people that don't teach... When you're at a new school, that means you're in new germs. And I have oh, come down yes. with a head cold during the week before winter break. And it's not great. But, you know, I'm here. I'm up. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to chat. <laughs> I did get one. I mean, there are lots of positives that have gone on, uh, including that over the weekend, we got a dog. A Bernese Mountain Dog named that... Kestrel. Yeah, Those photos wonderful. are precious. Rescued. We ha- we haven't had a burner for a couple of years, so it was nice to bring a burner back into our life. And he is nine months old and ninety eight pounds. He's a little overweight, but he is adorable and cuddly. And I'm gonna have to have him take over my Instagram feed the way that your pets take over yours. Oh yes, it's the best. So cute. So is he going to get bigger? <laughs> um, our when um. Before my son was born, um, or I guess when my son was born, we had two burners, and the male, Avi, um, topped out at about 116 pounds. Okay. Um, Kestrel is a little, uh, again, a little overweight, but he should probably end up around 115 or 120. Um, So around a year and a half, he'll be about full grown. 
Okay. Wow. That's a really big, yeah, big dog. Big, lovable. <laughs> this is a dog that I was like, I have a library dog. I could bring my dog to the library and all the kids could just pull and hang on him and love him. Yeah. And he would just like be chill Three and hang bucks out. to him. Oh, I yeah, know, right? That is the best. Yeah. So be, is his personality a like a library dog personality? He's super chill. He loves to... Oh, that's uh, really good. Bernie's Mountain Dogs love to lean against people. <laughs> and he, he just immediately, he wants to be where you are, and then he just wants to lay down by you or beside you. It's very sweet. Oh, My daughter has that. already been reading him books uh, and making kissy noises to him constantly and then freaking <laughs> out when he gets up and comes toward her. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's great that, that, that my kids can have a dog in their life, too. Um and and Kestrel is already favoring my wife, which she adores. Uh-huh. Um, and uh he's he's just been it's it's cool to come home and and have that feeling of someone who's missed you, that dog yes. with the tail wagging. It's just really, really sweet. It's so great. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited about your new addition. I'm going oh, to have you. to go visit you. Meet the <laughs> totally. dog. Very exciting. All right, well, let me bring you our next sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Doughboys, another hashtag books for the middle by Paula Chase. In a neighborhood where people worship at the altar of their elite youth basketball team, two star players of the Cove Marauders find themselves working on and off the court for their drug dealing coach. Raleigh Matthews is desperate to break ties from their illegal dealings and sees his audition for a local band as his way out. Deontay Simp Wright thinks Raleigh's pipe dreams are cool, but hustling helps him feed his brothers. He just wants to be the best player he can be, no matter what game he's playing. Can their friendship survive the hustle? Now, this book Paula, is so yeah, good. I'm yes. just going to say that. Paula Chase is the author of So Done, which is another wonderful middle grade book. And this and is sort a of a companion. Novel. Yes, a companion novel to Doughboys. And I just love this book. She has a really wonderful way of bringing um, the characters' voices out. Would you say, Matthew? I she's think just an expert she, at that. <laughs> I, I, I would say that she's almost incomparable in how well developed the voices of her characters are. Mm -hmm. She just, it, 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 she almost centers her stories solely around the voice of the characters. And then all of the details about what they're doing and who they're in relationship with just fall into place. This book is beautiful and challenging and memorable. I, I love it. I'm, I'm obsessed with this book. Yeah, this is a really great book. And it, yeah, I definitely think it, it's uh, a book to read and then talk about because there's a lot of unpacking to do. Um, and I think it's just a great book to have a conversation about. And oh, yeah. yeah, so. You can dig in more on it. We, I, I interviewed Paula on the Children's Book Podcast. Yes, about you had Doughboys. a great interview um, with her. And, and I think that even without reading the book, um, there's a lot in that interview that you can really latch on to um, that will illuminate the story even more when you read it. Yeah, I agree. Nice. All right. Well, today's topic is homelessness. So this is something that comes up in the news every so often, especially when the weather is getting cold. I know here in New York City, I'm seeing a lot of articles about it in our New York Times, and it's been 
something that's close to my heart. I right out of college, I spent many years working at a family homeless shelter in New York City and um, working in administration as well as doing literacy programs, writing grants. And so this topic is very dear to me. And Matthew and I have been talking about doing an episode on homelessness for a while. And we're very grateful. There are a lot of book recommendations that we have that we'll get to um, in the second half of our program, but I wanted to give some background to how big the crisis is. The National Center on Family Homelessness reports that 2.5 million children are homeless each year in America. That represents one in every 30 children, but even more alarming, there was an article in, in the New York Times last October in 2018 that stated that 1 in 10 school children, which is about 114,000 kids in the New York City public school system, will sleep in either a homeless shelter or in the homes of relatives. They don't have their own place to live. And wow. that is just such a startling statistic. There is a public school... Um, in the, I think in the lower east side of Manhattan, where I think about 50% of kids are in the shelter system or homeless. And that is just, it's just, it's very sobering statistics. And um, I'm grateful that a lot of children's book writers have taken on that topic because I think that it's a great way to learn more about how kids are experiencing homelessness and um, just how difficult and complicated and unique every situation is. So There's, there's such yeah. a stigma related to being homeless. I think that a lot of... Um, people who have not had to um, suffer the consequences of being homeless, um, maybe it's easy to assume that those people begging uh, for change could, you know, get themselves out of that situation if they would pick themselves up off of their, uh, you know, by the by their bootstraps, whatever that phrase is, or that they um, just don't want to get help. There's just, like, all of these really negative... Um, uh, assumptions about uh, what it means to be homeless. I think that the more you learn about it, I worked in a Title I school or in Title I schools for uh, about 15 years, and the um, the family liaison uh, staff member uh, would talk to us regularly about these statistics and also about um, the resources that are available to families. But uh, it was just staggering to know how many people are affected and mm -hmm. how hard it is to get out of those situations. It's very, very um, disturbing. And I think what bothers me the most is um, how I feel like we in America have a tendency to try to make the homeless invisible. We don't want to see that. We don't want to... Um, we don't want that to be our problem. It's it's very sad. It bothers me a lot. Yes. Um, but we have a really special guest today. Her name is Alicia D. Williams. She's a teacher in Charlotte, North Carolina. She is a proud mother of a brilliant college student. Her love for education stems from conducting school residencies as a master teaching artist of arts integration. 
Alicia D. infuses her love for drama, movement, and storytelling to inspire students to write. Alicia graduated from the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York. She's performed in commercials, off off Broadway, and even Charlotte's very own children's theater. She is the author of the wonderful book Genesis Begins Again. Please welcome Alicia. Hi, we are so excited to have Alicia D. Williams here today, and she is the author of Genesis Begins Again, which is a Kirkus Prize finalist, and I have a, a few questions for you, Alicia. So my first question is, your main character, Genesis, deals with a lot of housing insecurity. Her father has a gambling addiction. He often loses the rent money. They've been moving from apartment to house to apartment to various living situations. So when you were dreaming up this book, how did you think about your main character and how did you sort of develop her personality and get into her mindset? You know, um, I'm from Detroit originally, and I saw the scene in this whole scene of her coming home and the first scene as it opens is her stuff is put on the lawn. Her family is evicted. And as I got to learn Genesis, I wanted her to be this sassy character, a little feisty, but also one that we all know we all have this trait where, you know, I say this, or I should have done this, but in reality, you don't do it. You just wish you had that. So that whole conflict of wanting to be feisty and speaking up with that Detroit attitude um, that I grew up wanting to have so badly. um, That's where Genesis voice started to form for her. But as far as me trying to get that, I remember when I was in graduate school, when I actually started trying to figure out what the story was, I would read the scenes out loud and Mm -hmm. try to say them as 13 year old girl would say them with a little pop with a little sass Mm -hmm. you know sometimes we're not allowed to have as much sass but I definitely knew that if I can capture it in the phrasing in the in in the inner um in their monologues, then the voice would be so much truer and I can get so much closer to this girl, this 13 year old girl that has so many conflicts in her life. Mm -hmm. I also love the way that you sort of like, we, I feel like we learn a lot about Genesis when we see her with other girls. Um, Mm -hmm. How was that writing those scenes where it was, Genesis and sort of the way she interacts with other kids. And um, I mean, we see some of her insecurities coming out, but as, but she, if you're just looking at what she's saying, she seems super confident. What was it like writing Mm -hmm. those scenes? You know, a little bit of it, and you might, might have done this with all your wonderful books too. You put a little bit of yourself in there and then a little bit of what you wish. Mm. So when I was visualizing, say the bullies, I remember, and and being a teacher too, I see it as well. I remember seeing so much of us swallowing our voice and laughing at ourselves just to make these friends. Mm -hmm. 
but in the inside you have this whole other person that you're hiding mm-hmm. and I see it in the girls <laughs> I see it in my middle schoolers like they are laughing at jokes that's not funny or laughing at jokes that's on their behalf and you could see the whole conflict behind their eyes mm-hmm. that if they could just say what they really want to say like hey had the courage to say that's not funny Mm. You know, that was my feelings. They would say it, but we can't. So as I started working with, especially with the bullies, I tapped into my own first. My own, gosh, I was bullied. <laughs> Not, I wasn't bullied. I was just one of the quiet kids. Mm. And there would be times that teasing might occur and I don't didn't speak up. So I kind of tapped into that and made it a little bit bigger. And, um, and then I always wanted a friend. I always wanted that good lawyer friend growing up. Mm-hmm. I never had a, had a best friend. And with the Genesis, I didn't want her to, okay, so without giving so much away, she, she like so many others, try to fit in with the popular kids, right? right. The pretty kids. Mm-hmm. For her, it was the popular kids and she wanted the pretty kids to, because if she's just with the pretty kids, then that means she'll be just pretty enough. Like she'd be able to blend in, like it'll rub off magically or something. Right. And, and, but that wasn't friendship, but yet that's what we constantly do. We want the popular friends. That means we'll be funny too. And everybody will see us and think better for better of us. Yet that's not what true, true friendship is. Mm-hmm. That's not what it looked like. And with this, I needed her to learn friendship. I needed her to also um, learn, like, maybe that person who is lonely, ostracized, that you're like, yeah, I don't want to be with, is the most loyal friend for you. Right. Because we overlook those people. But I also needed her to learn a lesson Mm -hmm. because we don't value friends until we mistreat them or we do something innocent jeopardy. And I didn't want her to be harsh have this harshness, like, you know what, I don't like you. So, but I needed it. I needed her to still kind of like, yeah, but you're still not the friend that I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I will kind of put you to the side if needed because that happens so much. And I needed her to learn for, even for myself and for my readers, like, you know what, that person is the one you need to be with. And so it kind of, taught me some things. And every time I would speak to someone or as I was dealing with um, something, it kind of influenced my writing, even as an adult. And I would have a conversation and it will enrich like, ah, that's what this means. She, she need to be able to find her voice in a friendship. She needs to say, I'm sorry, because we don't say, I'm sorry. What does that look like? What does that feel like? How do we humble ourselves? Even with, the, you know, Troy and Sophia, mm-hmm. how does that look like? So I kind of needed emotional arc to be there. Yeah. You know, I didn't want everything to happen so smoothly in friendships because that's not reality. Right. So there are a lot of, I feel like there are a lot of themes in this book and you do such a great job handling all of these really difficult topics. Now, specifically the housing insecurity, how did that weave itself into the story when you were first developing it? Why did you decide to 
add that element into the story. Did you always know that you were going to do that or or did it sort of come as you were developing as you were developing the story? I want to say it kind of came mm. because the story was a, as I was learning what the story was about. The story was about a heavyset girl who happened to be dark skinned, you know, that was bullied. Mm-hmm. That's what it was about. But it also came like right in that time, the idea of starting over, mm-hmm. over and over again. And I think I brought a little bit of that from my life mm-hmm. because I've had to start over and be that new kid over several times. And that influenced it naturally. So I, I didn't necessarily like, oh, I'm gonna write this girl who has to be evicted, but it had to make sense with the eviction. It just couldn't be that she got evicted. Mm-hmm. And if she got evicted once, has, the questions will come. It was the first time because how would she react to that? Mm-hmm. And for the story to move along, it happened several times. Actually, you know, during the writing, the beginning, I had it over and over, but I was like, that's not the story though, because she's not this poor girl. Like her family's not poor all the time. Mm-hmm. They had they had a good life because they fell into it. You know, systematic poverty lends itself to, you know, you one paycheck away. You might look like you're doing well, you know, like you're surviving, but one paycheck away, you, 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 you'll miss a mortgage payment or a rent payment and you fall behind. Mm-hmm. And I knew what systematic poverty looked like, even though, and that funny that you asked that. Because as we were working on the story, I kept getting from an editor, you know, well, what does mom do with all her money? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean all her money? She's making minimum wage. Yeah. There's not a lot of money there. And every revision is like, but I don't understand. The kids need to know what mom does with all her money. And I said, like, well, kids know. Well, and then I thought about maybe not all kids know, but kids who live in this lifestyle, they know mom has to not only pay. There's not just groceries. There is and it's not just the things that you think you see, but car insurance, the the visible, the uh, uh, medical Mm -hmm. bills, the the dentals, you know, it's so much stuff. And and I had to tap into like, hey, I'm a single parent. Mm -hmm. I am literally one paycheck away, not even one paycheck away, but like grinding my teeth at night. Like if I make one false move, then I would not be able to provide a roof over my daughter. And this is my reality as I'm writing this Mm -hmm. story. So I I became mom, like the desperation. And I imagine what that looks like to kids. Like you see it, but you don't absorb it because parents don't always talk about it. But you absorb it the um, after things have uh, the ball is dropped. Mm-hmm. You absorb it when you have to start over or when you see your stuff out on the street or you living at some in somebody's uh, dished out with amongst you know your family members. So it wasn't, but it had to de- decide how would it move, mm-hmm. how would it look like. To be so real. And it, it was more real for me to decide that 
you know, dad has issues and mom's just barely holding it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, playing on that answer. Um, so in the very beginning of the book, Genesis lists 96 things she hates about herself. And I, mm-hmm. I found that so heartbreaking when I read that. And I also wondered if there was a connection between all those things that she hates about herself as well, you know, in relationship with the housing situation. I feel like, you know, your book so beautifully ties in all of these themes of, you know, bullying and insecurities and um, family discord and housing. So I feel like they all tie in, but tell me a little bit about that list of things that she hates about herself. Like, how did that come about? Um, the original idea came from <laughs> two girls in in my middle school who put that list list gave me that mm. list, and hundred reasons why they hate Alicia. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and I never, never forgot mm-hmm. that. And I don't remember much on that list, but I do remember. St- some silly things like she wore the same pants on Wednesday that she wore Monday. And I thought like, gosh, you observed that. Did I really do that? Of course, you know, so, and I never understood where it came from. Why, why? Cause I was this quiet kid. Then I, and, and I just put it in there. I put it in there. Cause it's one of those things that kids mm-hmm. would do. And so as I, as I played with this list, I had to think of, first I came up with like, what would be on this list that they would hate about Mm -hmm. her? And I I couldn't think of a hundred reasons that they would hate her for, but even the stupid ones. And I I couldn't remember if, I don't think the girls even wrote a hundred list things. If they did, I can't remember it, but I I knew I couldn't come up with a hundred reasons why they would hate Mm -hmm. this girl. So, but as I had the, this list and kept it with this whole title. Um, I started thinking though, if you have this list and you already have this internalized self-hate and internalized racism, and you already have been made to feel like you're not good mm-hmm. enough, period, from your family members, what do you do? You beat yourself yeah. up. Even adults mm-hmm. do it. We beat ourselves up. You know, we criticize ourselves for our wrinkles, our fat. Uh, you know, we criticize ourselves. And it was one of those things that seemed natural, a natural progression. Well, they hate me. And I can't agree, even though it's stupid. Yeah, I can't agree with that. Stupid girls, they they hate, they didn't even finish the list. I, I hate myself for this reason. That should have been on the list. They forgot that. And it came a natural inner monologue mm-hmm. thing. That it was like, oh, well, I'll add that to the list. I could get to 100. And it just made sense that because we hold on naturally, whether we write them down or not, we hold on to every negative word, every negative um, emotion that people put on us. We make Mm -hmm. it our own. You know, when when the book announcement came out, my aunt told my mom, 
when she saw it that you know she didn't say anything about the announcement didn't say any congratulations but she wanted to know if my hair was being done too often to top my locks were done done because my forehead was getting bigger now oh i took God. that and i like i don't even like taking selfies any longer like is it bigger and i'm like freaking out like yeah i think it is getting bigger you know and then i said and and that's just an example that kids are given words. If I'm doing this as an adult who I should be so much more secure about myself, imagine, you know, what mm. kids go through. So I knew this automatically because I'm just bringing it up as an example, but I knew this. We internalize it and we make it our own. So it's just a natural progression that she did it and she carried it and absorbed it. And you can't break away from that. Yeah. It's so hard to break away yeah. from that. Well, okay. So I have one last question for you. This book has been out for a year now, almost a year, right? And um, yeah, because we met in in March, probably. And your yeah, and your book had been recently out. So in the past year, have you heard from readers that have connected with Genesis in one way or another? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I don't, I would love to get fan mail or something like that, but I haven't gotten anything like a fan mail or, but I remember like speaking of homelessness mm -hmm. in particular, I love when I do a school visit and it's a more smaller mm -hmm. group and not a big white auditorium. And I'll tell you why, because Genesis is such a emotional story. It's, it caters itself to conversations. And smaller audiences feel much more yeah. safer, uh, much more safe to speak up. And in this group, it was maybe a 35, 40 students and a, a young boy in the front, you know, and doing the Q&A raised his hand. And he said uh, he was a lot like Genesis because his dad left and the family and he, him and his mom had to live in a car mm -hmm. for a while. Wow. And for him to admit that they were homeless and live in a car was so, oh my gosh, it was so brave, but it also lends itself to the adults, the people who wonder why does he have an attitude, you know, might put a label on him because he's acting out or because he's moody or because he's withdrawn. This dude, this little boy is like so many others in these schools are dealing with homelessness or dealing with issues. So that spoke to me like, oh my gosh, you know, this is something we don't talk about. And so even when I went to, I was in DC and I was doing some school visits and the person, the lady that was driving me around was saying how the schools I was visiting were the most were poverty in poverty and they had a big homeless population where in DC they put them in hotels and um, she was telling me the stories of them and these kids they as soon as I read the first five pages each student at the school where they got a book the, the the organization gave a book you know those kids you know, they started interacting with the text right away as soon as it came I hadn't even gone I'm, they started reading the book they were like, oh, 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 because they they were interacting with a story that represented them. 
I've gotten a few teachers who emailed me was like, this book spoke to my student. I just want to let you know that mm-hmm. I had I had to give my student this in this book. book. So I, I get through Instagram a few um, mm-hmm. re- recognition from teachers. And I've also gotten I've gotten adults on Twitter who mentioned mm-hmm. this is a story I needed when I was 13 years That's old. Amazing. So it comes and I'm just so, I guess I'm so grateful that whatever was put in the story, um, I think it was divine intervention because (laughs) I don't know how it happened, but it is touching people in a way that I never imagined it would do. I never imagined people read it, but for somebody to say, we were homeless or I was talked about, I, re- I did one um, visited school right there. We didn't even read the book. Mm-hmm. We did small group work with some high schoolers mm-hmm. after, you know, I did my presentation. Oh, and Karen, Karina, uh, let me tell you one girl, you could tell it was affecting her because she was dark skin with natural hair and mm-hmm. she looked just like Genesis. Yeah. It was raw for her that you could tell emotionally without even reading the book, this was her. And what came up besides the idea of being unstable, our kids are dealing with so much depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, feeling alone. And these, these things were coming up and teachers were saying, I'm so glad you, you spoke. I'm so glad you have this story. This is what they need to talk about. This is what they need to hear. So I'm getting it slowly but surely. Um, affirmations that this is mm-hmm. this is something that um, speaks to them. So I'm so glad you asked that because I don't. I never would have gotten that or thought about how how a middle grade student can admit yeah, that I they've been homeless the book, out loud. Um... And, and talking about it gives opportunity for that conversation to come up in a way that it might not otherwise. And anyways, the book, I just love the book. Thanks so much for being on this podcast mm-hmm. with us and many congratulations to you. Okay. And Thank you. I hope everyone listening will pick up a copy. If you have not read it yet, I think you will love it. And Alicia, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Well, as always, um, we are so grateful to have had these great guests to illuminate these topics and and share their wonderful books with us. And we always look forward to book-talking other books that have stuck with us on these given topics. In this case, I think Karina and I had a challenging time narrowing down what books we were going to talk about because so many authors, as Karina said at the top of the show, are taking on this issue and really centering it for our readers. Uh, And so, Karina, why don't you start us off? We have so many great middle grade on this list in particular. uh, So I want to make sure that that, um, we get to shine a light on these books. Great. So my first pick is called Towers Falling by Joel Parker Rhodes. This book is incredibly popular. I know uh, my daughter, who's 11, read it and loved it and shared it with a lot of her friends. And it seems like a lot of kids are really connecting with it. It's a story about fifth graders who were not alive to witness the 9-11 attacks on the towers. But as they learn of the events during lessons at school, 
they begin to understand that the past affects the future in a way that's very personal to them as they live in New York City. The story centers around a young girl named Deha. Her family is struggling due to the after effects of the 9-11 attack. They lose their home, they move into a group home in Brooklyn, and at her new school, her teacher begins a group, like a project, a class project, and talks about 9-11 and uses that as a history lesson. And Deha, as she is exploring this, she is also finding herself reticent to explore it because her father was uh, working in the towers and he will not talk about it at all and there's a lot of her own personal history wrapped up in that and it's a really wonderful story that talks not just about that current event but relates it to how that has affected so many people's lives and also about the housing situation. So it's a great book. And Jewel Parker Rhodes, I think she's just such a wonderful author to read because she does not shy away from difficult topics. Um, The book that she wrote after Towers Falling was called Ghost Boys, and that was a really stunning book about the Black Lives Matter movement and... I thought that was really great, and she has a new book coming out in March called Black Brother, Black Brother, and um, that is the story of two brothers, one who is light, lighter skin and one who is darker skin in the way that they relate um, so differently to their community and how the community perceives them differently, and I'm really looking forward to that one. That's wonderful. She also wrote Ninth Ward about uh, Hurricane Katrina, which was just fantastic. Mm. Uh, So I want to start off by doing something very different for me, which is I'm going to book talk a middle grade at the top of the show. Um, I want to share The Benefits of Being an Octopus by Anne Braden. Anne uh, makes her debut with this novel, and it's one that I was so elated to see come to audiobook. Uh, because now I've been flying through it. Uh, I'm only halfway through the story. Uh, can't wait to finish. Um, it centers on seventh grader Zoe, and she has her hands full taking care of her uh, siblings after school every day while her mom works this shift at a pizza parlor. Um, her mom's boyfriend, Lenny, uh, lets them live in her, this trailer, Um, and Zoe largely is trying to stay under the radar, uh, but a teacher at school wants her to be on the debate team, and where I am now is causing, Zoe is having a bit of a hard time with, uh, being a little more seen at school. I think, from where I am, I think that the assumption is that, um, any attention drawn to her circumstances is gonna be not a good thing. So I'm really feeling for Zoe. I'm feeling for her anxiety. I'm feeling for how she communicates at this point in the book that she feels like her mom just isn't smart, that she could just get herself out of this situation if she would just try a little harder. And I think that that is an attitude that's being fed to her by these men in her life, uh, in her mom's life. So um, I'm really... 
uh, interested and, and compelled by this story. Uh, I'm so glad that Anne chose to write this story. And I love the way that Zoe's uh, obsession, passion for octopuses is uh, a, a running theme through here, uh, relating all these different octopus facts to how Zoe is in fact surviving in her environment. So I, I really can't wait to finish this one. Yeah, I really loved that book. It was it was written so well, and in addition to Zoe having you know the housing insecurity and also um, you know what she's going through at school, she's also taking care of siblings, and I find that really interesting to read about as well because I think so often that is what's happening um, when when there's a lot going on at home and the mom is busy and, you know, it, it often comes to the the oldest sibling to take care of the younger ones and that can sure. be a huge strain. Okay, so my next pick is another middle grade. It has not come out yet, so I would like to just talk about this um, just to put it all on your radar. It comes out February 4th. It's called Parked by Danielle Svetkov, and this is set in San Francisco, the San Francisco area, and as you know, in San Francisco, the rents are just so outrageous. It's so expensive to live there, and as a result of the cost of housing, there is just a huge homeless population. And the New York Times actually this week had a really interesting interactive article that you can see online where there were two reporters that um, went to some of these homeless camps and lived there for a couple months and interviewed people and filmed. And it has a lot, there's a lot of video footage and there's a lot of personal stories. And I thought it was really interesting in light of reading this book, Parked, which I just finished um, this morning, actually. And it's a story, it's told in two voices. And it's a story of a 12 year old girl named Jean Ann. And she is living in Chicago with her mom. Her mom's a chef. And her mom quits her job. And all of a sudden, uh, they leave their rented apartment and jump in a van and drive across the country and land in the San Francisco area. And their car is not very well kept, and or I guess their van. And the mom parks it sort of with all these other vans, and it overlooks the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's also on a really sort of affluent street. So there are a lot of really beautiful homes and... Um, the van can't be moved because there's uh, the tires blown out and they've run out of money for gas. So they're just sort of stuck there. And Jean Ann, the main character, is is confused why they're there and and why they're not living in an apartment. And at the same time, one of the houses on the street, there's a boy living there who is also 12. His name is Cal, and he's sort of been watching over this. Um, this lot that is filled with with families and people living in their cars, and he sees Jean Ann and wants to befriend her. And because it's told in two voices, it's very interesting the way that um, we hear from Jean Ann and sort of 
what she's going through and her own confusion and trying to work out what to do. And then we hear from Cal, who's really well-meaning, but not oh, he doesn't always know what to do and to help her. And, you know, he makes mistakes along the way. And I think because there's that two, the two voices, it makes it a really interesting way of seeing a situation from two different sides. So I would highly suggest um, putting this book on your list and also taking a look at the New York Times article, which um, we will link to in the show notes. Excellent. Let me talk about a picture book, one that uh, won a number of awards. So there's a great chance that you've read it, but I don't know if you've thought about it recently. It's called The Last Stop on Market Street. It was written by Matt de la Pena, illustrated by Christian Robinson. And in this simple and beautiful picture book, my grandmother and her grandson uh, take a bus downtown. We don't know where they're going, but we do see these sites along the way that, that they always pass. And where they end up is uh, at a soup kitchen to help out, to lend a hand. I think it's a an understated and beautiful book about the ways that we can leave our comfort zones and step into a place where we can serve others. So mm. that's my pitch for the last upon Market Street. Yeah, that's a beautiful book. The illustrations are stunning. Okay, so my next pick is another middle grade. It's called The Exact Location of Home by Kate Mesner. Now, Kate is an incredible writer and an incredibly prolific writer. She writes about all sorts of topics, and in this book, she tackles homelessness. So the story is about a boy named Zig Zagonski, and he is like a real engineer. He loves electronics and science and tinkering with things. And the story, I think, is so great, just like the other books that we've talked about, um, because it talks about homelessness, but in light of all these other issues that are coming up. Um, so in the case of Zig, his father sort of disappeared a year earlier and Zig hasn't seen him in a while and is worried about where his dad is and Zig one day finds a GPS unit at a garage sale and gets it and is sort of introduced to this world of um, geocaching? Is that yeah, how you say it? geocaching and yeah so basically there are clues that are left all over the place and you can sort of see if you can find those clues and he um, gets in his head that his father is leaving him clues to find him so at the same time they're living in a homeless shelter so it's really interesting to explore both of those really difficult topics and how they're related to each other and the community that Zig has at the shelter and also his own yearning for home and family. So it's a really lovely story. I highly suggest it. And Kate Mesner is a terrific writer. Wow. That sounds so sweet. Uh, I want to highlight a book from Lee and Lowe, which is called a shelter in our car. It was written by Monica Gunning and illustrated by Elaine Pedler. And in this story, Zeddy and her mama um, leave their home in Jamaica for what is an uncertain life in the United States. Um, and with Papa gone, Mama doesn't 
she struggles to find a steady job, um, and they are forced to live in their car. Um, but what we see here, why this book really connects with me, um, is that unwavering love of a mother to support her child, of a parent to support their child. Um, I think that it's something that um, we see strength in children a lot, and it's cool when we see the through lines of, of that strength coming from adults in their life when possible. I think that's really neat to show that love and support and determination. Uh, and Zeddy gets that from her mama in this book, um, the confidence that they can meet challenges. I've never read that book, but it sounds great. I will have to put it on my list. All right. So the last book I'm going to, I'm going to talk about is the bridge home by Padma Venkatraman, which, um, Matthew, I know that you're a huge fan of this book. And this book begins, it's set, first of all, in India. And I really love that because there are so many books that cross my desk, but not many set in places other than North America. So I was really glad to read this one. This book begins with two sisters who are seeing a situation in their household that um, is really making them uncomfortable and fear for their safety. And these two sisters, Biji and Ruku, they end up leaving this, uh, their parents because of the violence that's happening in their home. And they go to the streets. And it is really um, such a sad and beautifully written book. The girls are sort of alone and you know, they don't have a lot of money and they do find a community on this abandoned bridge where they find shelter and join with two other homeless boys and they sort of form their own family and they go to the local dump and scavenge for materials that they can sell and all the while Biji is um, taking care of her sister, her younger sister. Um, and then things start to get uh, very unstable. And Biji has to make a decision about what she should do um, and whether she can accept help and whether she trusts anyone enough to accept help from them. So this book I'm a huge fan of. And I know Matthew loves it as well. And it's it's a great way to to look into another situation set in a different country and and um, get empathy and compassion for what's going on around the world. It's a book that absolutely destroyed me. I love this book and it makes me cry and feel love and compassion and closeness to family. Um, it's gorgeous. It's a perfect book. Um, the, the closing picture book that I want to share is called Still a Family, and it's another one of those moving, moving books. It's written by Brenda Reeves Sturgis and illustrated by Joshin Lee, and it is an affirmation of no matter what circumstance we go through, we are still a family. It's told from the voice of a child um, waiting in line at soup kitchens and, and um, being separated from dad while... Uh, mom and she are in one uh, shelter and dad has to be in another going through seasons um, 
being out on the street and having to um, hoist a, a tarp to keep out some of the rain, uh, celebrating holidays, but knowing that all along we are still a family. I think that for children who are not homeless or, or and or do not know others that have been in this circumstance, this is a chance to show that there is still a lot of love and bonding and closeness and determination together to provide for one another. This book also has a fabulous author's note and really, really outstanding resources, many of which, um, Karina, you, uh, I think we both have sort of talked in roundabouts way, uh, roundabout ways in our conversation. And so I'll make sure I just add all of these links to the National Alliance to End Homelessness, the National Coalition for Homelessness. These important links will add to the show notes in case uh, there are listeners that want to find out how they can help. But I thought that maybe a great way to wrap up talking about this book would be to read the author's note, which a part of it reads, um, There are many ways we can all help. Consider donating items that people in shelters need, such as socks or shoes, or giving money to assist the homeless with getting birth certificates, state ID cards, and subway or bus passes to travel to job interviews. Another way to assist is by serving in a soup kitchen or starting a fundraiser. The needs of the homeless are limitless. Whatever you can do will matter, and it will help. I feel like that's a great way to go out on this episode. Yeah. That's a great author's note. So for all of these books that we talked about, of course, you'll be able to find them um, by visiting bookriot.com slash listen and looking up episode 20. Um, we will have, as I said, every book linked in the show notes. If there are other topics, uh, make sure that you hit us up at kidlit these days at bookriot.com or if this episode connected with you um and you're on social media you can use hashtag kidlit these days we love knowing that you are listening and thank you so much for joining us today today is actually my last official day as co-host of kidlit these days i've had such an amazing time with matthew putting together this podcast and planning each episode but life has intervened and i need to focus on my family and my own health and other work that I have going on. I will still be a part of Book Riot doing their newsletters, um, Kidlit newsletters, which you can find on bookriot.com. Go to newsletters and sign up for The Kids Are All Right. And I will also be popping back in to the podcast to fill in whenever needed. So I will not be officially saying goodbye. I will um, be hoping to fill your earbuds in the future very soon. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast and always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people find us. You can find me, Karina Yan Glazer, on Twitter at Karina Yan Glazer and on Instagram at Karina is reading and writing. And you can find me, Matthew Winner, number one fan of Karina Yan Glazer. On Twitter, at uh. Matthew Winner. If you have a story idea, please do reach out to us on social media using a hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you'd like to hear next on the show. 
And on that note, may your coming days be storied, and may the good stories keep on coming.